Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green, joined, as always, by Brett Barry. And, Brett, we actually have some news this week, which is surprising because it's May. It's May, there's coronavirus, and there's still plenty of Arizona Wildcats news. Yeah, yeah. Where, where do you want to start? Do you want to start basketball? Do you want to start, like, there's actual news, there's, I guess you could consider it news, and then there's just things have happened. Let's... Let's start with the, the the basketball news. Okay. Well, the or, good news or is... Or discussion. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing nothing really happened basketball-wise, I guess. We should point that out. Arizona's recruits, they, they signed, so that's good. Those are like Tibet Goriner. They got him last after the show last week. They did add him, the three-point shooter from Turkey, who I guess is like the lowest-rated recruit in this class because now when you add all up, though, which is... Fun. This isn't news, but it is kind of like a oh, how about that? Arizona right now has a number one ranked recruiting class in the Pac-12 according to 247 Sports. So they went from having like no like Dale and Terry and Ben a few weeks ago, and everybody's like, oh geez, Arizona's recruiting. Well, now they're number one in the pack. Yeah, and uh, everyone freaking out a few weeks ago with their hot takes on basketball recruiting, worried about ASU getting Josh Christopher. Uh, ASU was ranked fourth, which is a fine class, and they ha- they're going to have a nice team, I think. Uh, though also, Ramella White uh, doesn't want to be in the draft and doesn't want to be at ASU. So that yeah, was that was strange. Um, but yeah, so the I think the big news is that we got the at least two four seven sports to kind of help, uh, let's say, win the feelings of the fans, <laughs> um, in that people were concerned about what was coming in next year. We're so used to having top 10 classes. Well, guess what? As of right now, we have a top 10 class and the number one in the Pac-12. Pac and that ASU class that U of A fans were unreasonably freaking out about, in my opinion, is now ranked fourth, right? Yeah, I mean... Uh, and, and some of that's that guys moved up. Like, Ben moved up, I think, into the... into the Was it into the 40s? Um, and Kerr, Carissa, and Bacho, I think, actually... High four ranked, stars. Yeah, ranked ranked pretty well, and those rankings aren't even counting the fact that you have, uh, you know, James Akinjo, Terrell Brown, and a former five star in Jordan Brown. So suddenly, this roster looks intriguing, and if the rumors are to be believed, there might even be another spot filled by another European big guy. Yeah, they do have one more scholarship left available. Now, something to be mindful of too is like Arizona, they're in the two four seven rankings. This is all five of their commits, right? And that's part of what the rankings are. And that's why even in football, when you have fewer commits, like the more you have in your class signed in, they're gonna or signed, they're gonna be like you're higher in the rankings, right? Though, though to be fair, we lost like eight guys. We oh yeah, volume. <laughs> no, for sure. And like Arizona needed to fill these spots, and they filled them with quality players. And a month ago, there were a lot of people worried. Three weeks ago, people were worried. Even with Terry and Ben in the fold, and with Jordan Brown and Akinjo, people were still like. What is this team going to look like? There's not a lot of talent coming in. 
Whereas, like, in this case, like, ASU, it's not just about them. They have two commits. And their two guys are basically both five stars, right? Or Christopher's a five star. I think Bagley's like a high four star. And that's great for them. They have a recruiting class of two, and it's two really good players. I mean, they added some grad transfer stuff, too, and I get that. But so when you look at why Arizona's number one, it helps that they have the most commitments of anyone in the Pac 12, right? There is some level of. When they do these rankings, I never understood that quite. Quantity does matter when they're ranking these classes. But Arizona, according to 247, has four four-stars, one three-star. And like you mentioned, Brett, the transfers coming in. And Terrell Brown coming in. Jordan Brown. James Akindra, who was there. So if – and maybe this is <laughs> – when it comes to Arizona basketball, Lute Olson had a program, right? It was like year after year you expected Arizona to be, if not like not just competitive, but very good. Sean Miller, once he got his program going, that was a similar thought. You're like, okay, Arizona's going to be a Pac-12 contender pretty much every season and have a chance to make a legitimate chance to make a deep tournament run every couple of seasons, every other season, if not every season as it should be. And this is kind of what happens. Arizona has to reload, but they did it again. Now, of course, last year's recruiting class was, what, top five? <laughs> you know, with five-star freshmen. This recruiting class is going to be, who knows if it's going to make top five. You said, what, number seven right now overall in 247? So with room to go up, relying on freshmen. So just because the class is number one in the conference or one of the tops in the conference or even the country doesn't mean Arizona is going to be really good. But if you were worried about, does Sean Miller still have it? Will players still come to Arizona? And even these guys, and I'll just put this out there, we don't know if any of these guys are going to be one-and-dones. Right off the bat, it doesn't look like any of them project to be one-and-dones, which means they're going to Arizona under the assumption we can believe that they're going to be in Tucson for two, three, four seasons, and they're committing to a head coach, which means they're believing that he's going to be there around two, three, four seasons, or Arizona, whatever sanctions may be coming down the pike, aren't going to be the type that keep them out of the tournament or anything like that. So there's a confidence, I think, with what Arizona's gotten here is that, yes, they can still get recruits. They can still get high-quality players. And in this case, they can get players who expect to be around for more than one season. Which is, looking into the future, I'm already looking forward to future Wildcat fan freakouts of, oh, God, we don't even have a top-20 class when we only have one or two roster and spots. That's, and the that's the team. balance, right? Yeah. Because, like, right now, I really is the only, I think he's the only senior, right? Uh, yes. And then, you know, unless somebody makes a leap, uh, and it's a one and done or leaves early, it's going to, you're dependent on guys quitting the team. Right. Uh, so, you know, you're looking at a rock, a rock, if the people that have been complaining about one and dones are going to be getting the kind of roster that they want to have and see develop a little bit. But I think as we've talked about on this podcast, there's maybe not the star power here. But there is a fairly intriguing potential in terms of how the pieces fit together and guys that are willing to fill that role rather than, you know, I'm going to get my 15 shots up. Uh, but that being the case, there's still some guy like there's almost a certainty that one of these guys is going to outperform expectations, whether it's uh, Dale and Terry or Ben or, uh, or Bacho I think, or I think, yeah, I think Bacho and 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 Kerr Carissa can I think they're both going to be decent. I think Carissa has the chance to be he strikes me as the guy that has the highest up higher upside of him and Bacho, but Bacho could come in and be like a grown man against yeah. you know, a bunch of uh you know, the the kids that play pajama ball in AAU here in the States. Um 
So it's, you know, we, it might not be that in terms of raw, sheer talent, the most talented team Sean Miller has had, but I'm, I'm really intrigued at how the team fits together and how, how the minutes are going to get distributed. Uh, there's a wild card of Brandon Williams and his health. Mm-hmm. If he's healthy, if he's close to what he was as a freshman projected forward with any level of improvement, that's a pretty darn good team, especially if you add one more big. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. if you get the, the the rumored guy that might be coming from Europe is like, you know, another high four, even pushing five-star thing from what I've I've read on the boards, if that happens. And, you know, suddenly, like, I think Jason Shearer of 247 Sports Wildcat Authority was saying that, that if everything goes according to plan, you might have a top five recruiting class. Which would be... <laughs> It shouldn't be surprising based on what we've seen out of Sean Miller and Arizona of late, but where the program is at this exact moment, with all that still hanging over their heads, with the fact that the last couple of seasons have been disappointing, with this thought, and it's not, it's clearly not within the players, but his thought is that Sean Miller can't develop talent. He can't win with talent. He's not going to be there much longer. He's a cheater. There are going to be sanctions, this and the other, and yet somehow through all of that, Miller could be landing this type of class. And you might look and say, oh, well, some of these guys are from Europe. They know. Everybody knows. It's out there. These guys have all been recruited by other programs. If there's negative recruiting, which I'm sure there is, Arizona's, they probably watch ESPN. Arizona's been highlighted on ESPN quite a bit over the last couple of years. So to that end, it is, it shouldn't be surprising, but it is nice. And there's not, like you said, it's not that five-star top ten guy in this class. There's not that surefire one and done. It almost reminds me more of the class from a few years ago with Lowry Markinen and Kobe Simmons and Raleigh Alkins, who came in and you're like, okay, there's some five-stars in there. But I don't know if we looked at any of them and said, that's a clear one and done. They're going to the NBA after a short pit stop on Tucson type of player. Maybe, I mean, Kobe Simmons, I think, had that mentality <laughs> by the fact that he bounced right after that season. But Raleigh stayed and Lowry played himself into the lottery with a great freshman season. So we'll see. Someone probably will outperform expectations, and honestly, you hope they do. Because if they're all just decent players as freshmen, Arizona's not going to be a particularly special team. But if one or two of these guys outperform expectations, if Dalen Terry comes in and is kind of like a point forward who can handle the ball and play defense, and Ben plays good defense, Bacho's a solid low-post guy, Kirk Krissa is a good backup point guard, starting point guard, outside shooter, and then even some of the guys, Goerner, and then, like you said, Terrell Brown, James Akinjo, Jordan Brown. There's there's reason to believe that this team could be pretty damn good, assuming the pieces come together. But that we have to see the pieces come together, and it, then it'll go back to, well, how about this? Two years ago, people gave Sean Miller a pass. You're like, that team wasn't that great. Recruiting-wise, it wasn't that bad. But when you saw them on the floor, it's like, yep, that's not a particular. Those aren't, Brandon Randolph's not that good. Right, Not to just pick on him, he's one of the few guys I remember from that team. So will Sean Miller have that type of excuse for this team with so many new faces who haven't played that that level? But we're talking right now saying how good this team could be. Look at this talent he's assembled. If Arizona wins 20 games next season, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 games, does not compete for the Pac-12, is that an indictment of Sean Miller? I, I think the way he's assembled this roster, if he doesn't get 20 wins and you know, able to coach them to that, knowing the Pac-12 is going to be probably kind of garbage. I think that would be a, a reasonable indictment of Sean Miller. And is that the, the question right now? Because like, I know we're I mean, not anti-Sean Miller, but he's no. assembled what we're now saying. Right now we're talking on May 6th as we record this 
a really good class with potential to be even better if they land one more rumored or rumored possibility. And it's like, you have no excuse. This team should be top 15, top 20 once again and contending. Right. Well, I think there's a difference. There's a difference between a 20 win team and a top 15 team. I would contend four right? wins. Uh, well, I mean, like it's not, let's, let's be real. It's not that hard. If you're a perennial powerhouse contender type school, even in down years, to, it's, it's not that hard to get to 20 wins. It's, it's more rare to be in like the barely over 500 range at like 16 to 18 wins. Right. Yeah. The way this roster is filling out, there may not be the star power, but let's like, let's look at Gorner is probably the, he's probably the, the person coming in next year on scholarship as of now with the least expectations on him. And but, he, he very well may redshirt. Or he could have a huge how, role if he can make open threes. Well, that was what I was going to say. Sorry. But his, he can have way to step on that. <sighs> uh, because like it, even for him, who's like probably the the least physically talented of all of them in terms of size, strength, sheer athleticism, right? Um, and potential, maybe. Even he, you can see what how he can carve out a role on that team, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, just as a guy that uh, you know, I think our friends at AZ Desert Swarm did a dive into it, and he's you know rarity of a six eight or taller guy at Arizona who takes most of his shots from three point range. That tells me he's a he's a three point specialist. Which now, also his, tells you he could be a great role player, especially as a freshman. Yeah, and if you, but and you know, I think in Sean Miller's ideal world he red shirts and he can put on twenty pounds of muscle so he can be a better defender. Uh but you know, worst case scenario, if he's only in there for four or five minutes a game when you need a shooter towards the end of the half or something like that, or just need somebody to get some minutes to break a zone, you know, in certain games, there's value there, right? Yeah. And that's where there's the, 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 the interesting thing, the fascinating thing about the roster, the way it's being constructed, is you have this fascinating balance of people who have what their roles are. Even Akinjo, he's a scoring point guard. So he's going to facilitate some, but like, you know, shot clock's running down. He's probably getting the shot next year, right? Um, and if he's not on the court, maybe that's where you have Terrell Brown, who kind of played that same role at Seattle, right? Um, Carissa is probably a little bit more of a true point guard, but a guy that can hit that shoots the outside shot very well. There's no reason him and Akinjo can't be on the court together at the same time. Dalen Terry's a facilitator. You know, he can make guys like Jordan Brown and Ira Lee and Christian Coloco better by running basic pick and roll offense. Mm-hmm. There's I can I can convince myself with with reasonable arguments that I can see a path of success for this team. Now you can also of course you can look at the roster and say, I'm concerned about the experience and depth in the front court. You know, we don't we really don't know what Jordan Brown is gonna be. If he I think he's one of the guys that the the season next year kinda swings on. Um you know, if he if he brings significant value offensively in the post, that changes the floor for the team. Oh yeah. And the ceiling, right. Um maybe more than even if Brandon Williams is healthy, because as of right now, like you don't really have a guy you dump the ball into the post. Maybe it's Pacho at this point, right? Or maybe it's the unnamed European potential guy. Maybe it's Coloco. Like, Probably I mean, not Coloco. Coloco should just uh, develop a new form of three-point shooting where he just jumps from half court and dunks it over everybody <laughs> and gets credited with three points. Um, 
so, but you know, there's there's not as much certainty there. And the 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 beauty of Bacho to me is that he seems kind of like a guy in that, you know, not maybe a little bit more athletic, a little less big version of Dusan Ristich, or in that you know, Ivan Radenovich kind of thing where he can come in and be a valuable player on the court. Yeah. Maybe not a star, but a guy that can like add some value, right? Um, and so you can talk yourself into it's it's going to be a, a Rorschach test team again, I think, at least until we have watched a few games where I can convince myself one way or the other on this roster. The thing that I'm excited about is you can see, you know, how how the roster is being planned out. Of course, Lord knows in the last ten years with Sean Miller, how often has his planned roster gone according to plan right? right look at look at ray smith look at brandon ashley's injury look at you know whoever else but you can see how it's fitting together and there's so much there's so much top to bottom depth there that it's it's like a it's like a lower ceiling in terms of individual player kind of situation as last year but with the same amount of depth or maybe there's not the first round nba draft picks but you know, maybe only the top eight guys get minutes, but you go eleven deep. You know right? what's and, what's but, interesting though is like the way you're talking about them, the way I've been talking about them too, especially this recruiting class, is we're almost like underselling them as individuals. Or you know, we're saying you know, oh, well, you know, they may not be the most talented, but they're going to be good players. They're going to fill their roles, this and the other. But we're maybe overstating them as a collective team because we're saying because because they're not. DeAndre Ayton. There's no Aaron Gordon. There's no Stanley Johnson. There's no Nico Mannion or Josh Green coming in where we just look and say, yep, they're going to be here for six months and then we'll wish you good luck. You know, because that's not on the roster, that's not coming in, it's almost like we're underselling them as players because you can be a really good player and a four-star recruit. See Zeke Naji. And we did, we did leave room for someone playing their way into being a one-and-done. You know, outperforming and any one of these guys could most likely it would probably be Dale and Terry or Bacho, I would think, because they seem to be the ones who would get the most minutes early on, at least based on, I think, team needs. You know, Chris might be a backup point guard. You know, Ben might just be a defender, a defensive guy to start, although he's pretty talented, you know. So it's it might just be a matter of opportunity for some of them. But like we're, I feel like we might be underselling them a little bit, and maybe that's what we need to do. Because, again, we're thinking, look at these four-star guys. They may not be as talented. What? Look at these four-stars. Yeah, I mean, They're that's, terrible. That, that's what it sounds like, though. And it's <laughs> maybe when you're used to five-stars, and Arizona doesn't always get four or five five-stars every season. But when you're used to getting excited about those types of players, and for no reason other than you've seen the mixed taste, you've seen the highlights there in the McDonald's All-American game, you hear about, oh, they're going to be in the NBA in a year. And you get more excited about what they could do in Tucson. Whereas these guys... At least based on their, even based on their star ratings, they're no slouches. Like these are really good basketball players. So maybe I don't know if that's us trying to hedge a little bit. Like we're not expecting them to be great, but we're expecting them to be really, really, really good. Like I don't know, and it's and that's what you're talking about in May, right? When Arizona's replacing their entire yeah. starting lineup with a bunch of players who have either never played for Arizona or never played college basketball in general. So there is so much unknown. But the nice thing is. And I think this is why we like talking about this because, hey, good news is always fun. But compared to where Arizona was a few weeks ago, we can be excited about this. Like you said, you can talk yourself into, you can find a path where this team is really good next season. 
Like that exists. That path is there. It's not, you're not crazy to say that. Now, granted, you can usually say about most Arizona basketball teams that, oh, I see a path for them being a really good basketball team. But the one nice thing, and I think we'll see how it plays out, of course, which of these guys outperform expectations, which ones are more ready to play, which ones have a bigger role this season. But of all these guys, if a few of them stick around for two, three seasons, people, one, they'll be better as sophomores and juniors or juniors and seniors if some of the transfers, and two, people will get attached to them more. It'll be an easier team to root for because we'll know these players. We'll get to kind of grow with them or watch them grow as Wildcats and improve from year to year. Like we've talked about a little bit before, Dusan Ristich wasn't the best player ever, but we watched him develop. He was a Wildcat. Ira Lee hasn't been the best player ever, but I'm pretty sure people appreciate him as a Wildcat because he's been around. So I don't know which of these guys will be the one that's gone after one season, if any of them. I don't know which one's going to be the two-year guy or the three-year or the four-year guy or maybe redshirt and stick around for a few after that. But this seems like it's type of team that'll be easy to root for because they'll be around and potentially very good, if not this next se- like this season, then in the season or two after. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think we made a reference before. It was like a college football team losing its starting quarterback and wide receiver, and not have. And it's there's just so many question marks, right? Yeah. And look at look at Ben. He would. How many people are just anchoring to the fact that he was like a low double digits, or I guess high double digits, if you want to call it low four star, and now he's moved up to a high four star. Like he's one of those guys that could could be making a big leap, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dale and Terry, I think, fell slightly in the rankings, but he's still a top fifty player. And then there's, you know, let's not even go to the question marks of Brandon Williams or the question marks that are always associated with Euro players, right? Like, for every Lowry Markkinen overperforms, there's probably two or three, uh, what's his name, the Belgian kid that we, uh, um, that was somehow got a four-star rating. And Omar Thielmans? Tel- yeah, Thielmans. Yeah, Thielmans. You know. So, it seems like the, better than Omar, you know, these guys played in a, in, European pro leagues, so they've had some real competition, not just basing things off of, we need to fill a roster spot, and that kid looks athletic in this yeah. highlight video. Um, so, you know, I think it's just the, the challenge is you just have so many question marks. You don't know you don't know what leap Jordan Brown has taken. He hasn't played on a, in a basketball game in D1 in well, almost two years by the time we're playing again, and right? Whenever Sean Miller talks, because like, they've had him practicing all season, so they have an idea of what he is, at least what they've seen. We haven't heard much about him, though. And I know that's because there was so much going on last season with the team. It was like no one was really worried about Jordan Brown. But they have to know what they have in him at this point, I would think. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot depends on this, you know, rumored supposed other Euro big and what his role is. But, like, I kind of wonder if Jordan Brown and Christian Coloco share minutes at the five rather than Jordan Brown as the four. Uh, because Jordan Brown seems more like that tough rebounder, defensive player. Him and Coloco probably can't, if unless Jordan Brown has taken a leap from what we've seen and, and or Christian Coloco take a leap, they're probably not on the court at the same time, realistically. Yeah. Right? Uh, and maybe that's where you have an opportunity for somebody like Bacho or Ira Lee at times, or you can go small and put Dale and Terry at the power forward spot with, with Ben on the wing. There's, there's, there's depth here, and I think that's where, for Sean Miller as a coach, not as a recruiter, there's going to be an opportunity for him to, to flex those matchups, to flex those schemes, to do maximize you, talent. Do you worry that he doesn't have it in him? 
I, I mean, I think he proved it, Xavier. He has that specifically in him. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think it's a fair question to ask if all of the things, let's call it, that happened over the last couple of years have maybe broken him a little bit. Um, just like emo- emotionally, <laughs> uh, the way he's been recruiting, and he still seems fired up on the sidelines. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's, but there's something to be said. Like, I would actually contend that he seemed calmer last season than he has in the past, for the most part. <laughs> but that's like going from, uh, you know, you're upgrading from a Rich Rod level of screaming to a Mike Stoops level of screaming right. for for a, a frame of reference, right? Uh, but you know, I, it's going to be really interesting because. It's going to be a roster, I think, built more in his defensive mindset. I think offense is going to struggle a little bit, potentially, but I think that's where you can manufacture offense. You can have guys fill their roles a little bit better, and that's where having pure scorers like James Akinjo and uh, Terrell Brown, where they can just be like, hey, go go, go get a shot that's decent. Basically do what Brandon Randolph a couple years ago wanted to do every play, but that was our best option because we didn't have anybody else that could score. You know, if you have a great defensive team, you can get by on that. Yeah. Right. Well, the the narrative around Miller has been for at least a few years now. I guess since the Wisconsin lost years, those terrible, terrible tournaments, was that he's this fantastic recruiter and not a great coach. And what's funny is what we might see this season or with this roster is that his recruiting, yes, he was getting high rating class and high rated players. But they weren't great fits for his system. So in a way, his recruiting wasn't that good, whereas his coaching never really fell off. Now, we, we saw times last year, we talked about it in shows, like the end of the Oregon game at home, he drew up a great play to try to get the winning shot. And again, one play does not mean, just because you drew up a play doesn't mean you're a great in-game coach. And it's funny how, I don't know who's considered the best in-game college coaches. Like John Calipari is not known as a great in-game coach, right? It's just he wins because he has great talent. Well, he, he finds a way to win with the great talent. That's that's part of coaching in the college game. You have to be able to get your guys to buy into a system and run a system that's conducive to them. And the question with Miller's, of course, is that he somewhat, seems somewhat rigid with his offensive system, with his motion offense, and with his pack line defense. So is this a type of roster? And I, I don't think he's that. I mean, he, he does... He has mixed up. He's allowed a little bit more zone defensively at times, throwing in there, and a little lets his guys run. You know, get the rebound, you can run, but otherwise he wants to run his offense. So, will he change with this roster? Does he have to change with this roster, or is it going to be a situation where maybe it's the right type of roster for the way Sean Miller likes to do things? And instead of trying to fit, you know, that square peg into the round hole, you're fitting that square peg into a square hole. Like that's possible. And then people will say, "Oh, well, he's a great coach again." Well, no, he didn't get that. Like. <laughs> I mean, they, they're recruiting and coaching go hand in hand. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. Like, you're not going to be a, you can't be a great recruiter and a terrible coach. And I think you can be a great coach and a terrible recruiter because how would you know? If he's recruiting three star guys and winning a national championship, people are like he's a great recruiter because he's finding diamonds in the rough, right? He can identify talent. So I don't know how you could be one without the other. And I have a feeling this season or this team might be the kind of the step back towards people realizing, yeah, Sean Miller's pretty good. All of that narrative and BS is basically just people saying, God, I wish we had a Final Four under Sean Miller. <laughs> like, really, that's what it is. And you're a Jamel Horn 3 going down, uh, Sam Decker not losing his mind, Brandon Ashley not, not breaking, breaking his foot. foot. Yeah. Uh, 
honestly, I, I still think that Ray Smith, if you have him for one of those years when he tore his ACL, that's a different roster. So too. he would have oh. been on the marketing team, I think, right? The Lowry marketing team. Would that have oh, been his man. sophomore year, freshman? I don't know. Even, you know, even him just as a defensive guy who's like 6'8 and long limbed to defend on the wing makes sense. Yeah. Those are the small things that are the difference between decent and really good teams. And even last year's team with a healthy Brandon Williams or Devin Dutrieve that doesn't get kicked off the team when the offense is struggling, how much do those two guys help, right? Um, you know, at the end of the day, to answer your question of like when you're talking about Sean Miller Stone's more flexibility, I do think one thing I expect from this roster is I will be shocked if we see nearly as much, if any, zone defense, because you got the guys that should have the length and athleticism yeah. to play man-to-man defense, and I think Sean Miller does that generally out of desperation, though there was one was it, oh gosh, which game was it? Was it UCLA where they ran, they went from man to a zone in the end of the half, and it like threw off the other team, and it, they missed the shot, and it was like, ooh, that was neat. It was actually just like a tactical thing to throw off the other team was it barely worked but it worked yeah <laughs> um you know but yeah like i said it, every everything with arizona basketball is let's try to differentiate the narrative from on the court right and everybody there's and it, i guess that's another way of me saying let's separate fans angst from not having a final four to actual performance year in and year out of sean miller because yeah. if you look at the sheer numbers and his winning percentage, titles in the Pac-12, general success overall, he's done quite well. So, but, you know, I'm not trying to be a, a Sean Miller apologist because I can criticize him plenty, but, like, you d- he has the career record he has for a reason. Yeah, and that's, is it, it's not likely the game has passed him by <laughs> at this point, but certainly he needs to grow as a coach. All coaches do. Uh, but also part of that growth for him might have been recognizing or just deciding to go back to finding this certain type of player. And I don't necessarily think he was blinded by stars. You know, his first couple seasons, he was just trying to recruit as best as he could because he was trying to establish something. I don't think he was like, I'm going to go get Nico Manning because he's a five-star. You know, or he's like, ooh, look at that pretty five-star. I have to bring them in. They won't fit my system, but I don't care. I don't think it's that. But there's certainly – he probably more of anything a victim of, never mind – the Book Richardson stuff and all that and anything that he might have had a role in. But just the roster turnover. You know, he's recruiting guys. like Maybe he expected Larry Markin to be around for another year. He expected Zeke Naji to be around for another year when he recruited him. Like, those things happen. He expected Brandon Williams to be playing on last year's team, Ray Smith. There are certain things that he's recruiting where maybe he's thinking this guy's going to be a one-and-done, that guy's not going to be. Then they're both one-and-dones, or the other guy gets hurt and never plays again. So in terms of building that roster, it's hard to have the continuity in the best teams generally. Not every team. There have been those rare teams, like the Kentucky team that was really good. I guess Duke a couple years ago, but they didn't make a Final Four with their basically four of the top, what, five or six picks in the NBA draft team. So it's a tough way to win, and I don't think it's the way Shen Miller wants to do it, but maybe that's maybe that's his change. Yeah, we're, we're you know... Maybe it's just that I'm not on Duke boards, but like when Duke has that roster and doesn't make the Final Four, there's not that angst because they've been there recently. Yeah, and there's... so that's I guess that's my main point is that let's differentiate angst and fan frustration from let's let's disassociate that from Sean Miller as a coach or recruiter. And it, you, there's plenty you can do to criticize, but like you know, the funny thing is I come back to you know who's one of those 
coaches that was considered one of the greater coaches that never made a Final Four, ironically, until he did. Bo Ryan of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You know what his first Final Four was? Yep. Yeah. You know what his second Final Four was? Yep. <laughs> but but that's like to your point, like with Duke, even when they choke in the second round or whatever it is, with it, I don't remember. I think that team got to the Sweet Sixteen. I think. But they've certainly had their early tournament choke jobs. But you can't say, well, Duke lost. Coach K clearly can't get them to a Final Four. Because he has. And he's won championships. You know, he's not, oh, what a great coach who's never been to the Final Four. And that's absolutely a narrative, which is, it's true for Miller. He's never been to a Final Four. But it's also not quite that simple. So that angst that you're talking about, you're absolutely right, I think. is that Because people say, well, he, he hasn't made it, therefore he can't make it there. And eventually, you either make it or you don't, right? I mean, if he's around for 25 years, it still doesn't make a Final Four. For whatever reason, it hasn't happened. Now, I don't think he'll be around 25 years if he doesn't make a Final Four. And that's the other thing, too. We're talking about this with Miller. He's got two years left on his contract, which should basically be a one-year deal, although I don't know how anything is changing right now with the coronavirus stuff, with the budgets. And we're going to that's the next piece of news. We'll get to that in a second. But... Does he have that time? Does he have time? Will he be given the time, the leeway, the latitude to see this roster through? Because it's not necessarily a one-and-done roster, because it might need two seasons to really mature. Like, does he have that rope? Will the, will the administration give him another year on that contract? Will they give him a couple years? Like, what needs, like, it's such a weird dynamic, especially given where the world and U of A's finances are right now to even try to answer that question. But it's a huge question mark for them. Yeah, sitting here in early May, like, the permutations and range of outcomes of coronavirus budgets, you know, NCAA notice of allegations, the stalwart leadership of our brilliant athletic director. Yeah. Uh, the stalwart, brilliant leadership of our Pac-12 conference director giving us maximized revenues. Thank God we have those Pac-12 rights right now when nobody wants to buy them. <laughs> you know, like... There's there's so many things we don't it's impossible to predict how it's going to play out but it seems to me like Sean Miller is trying to do things the right way given the context of everything. Yeah, well. If that makes sense. It does and I think that's also a good segue to our next actual news that came out today. Uh, Dave Hickey in a statement announced that we kind of saw this coming but that he, along with Adia Barnes, Jay Johnson, Sean Miller, Kevin Sumlin, have voluntarily offered to take 20% salary reductions. And this is all due to coronavirus and the loss of revenue. You know, but they, they, they decide because they said it is the wildcat way, which we've seen stories come out of a lot of coaches around the country, which they make a lot of money, a lot of these coaches, some more than others, but have taken some pay cuts because of what's going on, which is yeah, it, it makes sense, you've, especially if you're not coaching any games right now. It's hard to justify that salary, but 20% is a pretty healthy number and certainly more than we've seen reported for most other programs. So I don't know if there's really much to say. It's like, like good on them for doing it. It's clearly the right thing to do, but also, like, I mean, it, it, it's a good look, I think, for them, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the voluntary is semi-voluntary and there's also just like hey do we want to i think at some point hiki probably went to these guys and be like you know here's here's what happens if we don't do this yeah wx y and z right and i don't think for all the criticisms we can have for any of our coaches i don't think any of them are actually bad people and i think they're concerned about their assistants 
people that have you know that that don't that don't have the 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 bank built up shall we say or the scholarship athletes that you know we want to honor their scholarships in non-revenue sports um, and then also I think it's a little different for Sean Miller in the sense of you know a lot of his net income as being the coach of Arizona comes through like the Nike revenue that we have as a Nike basketball school, they sure. pay a large chunk of his, I think it's more than half of his like take home every year. Um, oh, he's not going to be hurting. No, like, but none like, of these coaches are going to be hurting. No, but, but it, I mean, well, Kevin, someone is still, you know, swimming in his Scrooge McDuck money <laughs> ball from, from what a &M. A&M gave him to go away. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're not they're Yeah. They're not hurting. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Maybe Atia Barnes got posed the most with this big contract and a top 10 team coming through and then, you know, upped her salary considerably. And then it's like, you lose 20% of that. <laughs> uh, but even her salary, less 20%, you could you can live pretty well on that in, in, in cost of living that is Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. Um, I mean, so it's, the, good it's... Thing is, the good thing is I think it puts the, the athletic program in general in a better spot going into the uncertainty uh, that is that is the next the next school year, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, everything's uncertain, but what we do know right now with where things are at, a lot of places' finances are not where they were expecting to be and not where they need to be. So having the coaches, especially the big-name coaches, and I think there's more coaches than just these ones, but the ones that make the most noise, that will generate the headlines, it's a good headline. Because I think it was a couple of weeks ago where the headline was how Arizona was going to be. They were projecting a budget shortfall of a certain amount. Like that's it was a, like seven and a half million. Yeah, at least. And like that's not a fun headline. This is a related headline, but a more positive one, saying. And you can spin it. You can spin it as voluntarily, like whether it was voluntary or not. Like I know you did air quotes, like voluntary or not. They can spin it that way, and say they're doing it because it's the Wildcat way. They care about the program, the university, and all that. So it's not a it's not a negative headline. That that's that's how I see it, like, and also the other piece of good news, like, or there's good news, not the other piece of good news, because that wasn't exactly good news; it was news. But the Arizona football program is no longer the last one in the Pac-12 to not have a commitment for the 2021 class. Yay! <laughs> so we're recording on Wednesday, and it was Tuesday night. They got a linebacker safety hybrid, Colby Cage from New Orleans. I guess he's a three-star player. I mean, he announced his commitment to Arizona, part of the 2021 class. I guess Arizona was, until Tuesday, the only power conference team without a pledge. So, got off the schneid. Now just you can expect all the commitments to start rolling. And isn't that how it works? Boy, I sure hope so. <laughs> so, I, I wasn't... They, we, we'll do a mailbag segment after this, and I think this will probably be touched on a little bit. But I wasn't terribly worried ever, about them not having a 2021 commit. But I also understand why it would take so long, and I have a feeling, especially with where things are right now, but even more so because of where Arizona was beforehand, their 2021 class might be a little bit slow to take shape, which is a problem, but it's an understandable problem based on where the program is right now. Well, not to be an apologist, you know, fan homer take here, but typically the early commits in most football recruiting classes are quarterbacks because only one quarterback is generally playing at a time and they tend to lock up first historically we had a pretty good freshman quarterback and he's probably going to be the starter for at least the next couple of years 
And we had a pretty decent one last year. It's probably going to be the heir apparent. So, you know, I mean, like you, I wasn't that concerned about it. Plus, I think a school like Arizona maybe gets more impacted by the ch- the changes in recruiting that coronavirus has the impact of, of making. Like, people don't, you know, we've both lived in Tucson. You don't understand or appreciate Tucson, I think, until you've lived there. If you just drive through, you're not going to, you don't, you don't get the, the appreciation of it. Yeah. Um, so I think that maybe even has something to do with it. But it's so early on that I think that panic, again, was, you know, a little bit overstated. Well, it fits into the narrative about Arizona football, which is not totally unfair right now. Yeah, and I mean, but I would, again, it's like the basketball program. I'd like to disassociate the narrative and fans' angst from actual happenings. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard to, but especially in May. But... Brett, we, we put a question out there to our listeners to send us some questions for a mailbag segment, and we did get some responses. We're going to talk about those right after this break. So, Brett, it's always interesting when you ask people to share their questions with you about Arizona athletics because you get the legitimate, you get the sarcastic, you get the no-holds-bar, you know, no one's, being, no one's beating around the bush because I really – to be fair, especially when it comes to basketball and football, it has not been a good few months or a really good calendar year for either of them, which are the main sports people talk about. Baseball was looking pretty good. Of course, then coronavirus hit. Softball was looking good. Women's basketball was looking great. But people are really they're really concerned about football and basketball, which I get it. So, so you've met college sports. <laughs> Once or twice. Uh, let's just build off the last one. We got a question from Jay Wright six hundred two, who just simply asked, "Why has someone been such a dumpster fire?" <laughs> I, I I joke with you about that one before the show that it would be maybe if the rumors are to be a more apt comparison to a why has someone been such a flaming mo, a <laughs> flaming homer? Um, <laughs> you know, I I think there's a lot to unpack in that. Sure. Um, and I think there is, you can, you know, if you uh, if you do a pie chart of the blame to spread around, like I think Michael Lev of the Daily Star, who we're both big fans of, did like a pie chart of who's to blame for Khalil Tate's outcome, like the new coaching staff or Khalil Tate. You know, I think he said like, what, 65%, something like that, Khalil Tate, 35% coaching staff. You know, some of it is like, in college football, especially at a program like Arizona, where you're not a inherent recruiting powerhouse, unless you're unless you're inheriting a lot of talent, you know, there's a reason why we didn't have a lot of guys drafted. For Rich Rich Rodriguez, for as successful as he was relative to other coaching staffs, you know, the size and you know that just the sheer talent level was maybe not up to snuff. Yeah. For someone to work with, so. I, you know, I'm not as Kevin Sumlin apologist either, because like he, you know, I think him and Mazzoni did not necessarily tailor things to Khalil Tate or handle that in the best way possible either. So there's a lot of there's a lot of complicated answers in that question. I I'm real curious to see how this year, and assuming that they win enough games to have a next year, or there's just not enough money in the coffers to pay someone's buyout to have a next year, you know. The defensive, the new defensive staff intrigues me. The new recruiting philosophy that it, that 
kind of matches that kind of defensive staff going more traditional, more NFL-type guys that are easier to recruit, those kind of high upside guys intrigue me. You know, I think it's another situation of where it's just you got to put up or shut up. And I'm not, you know, not, I don't think either of us were on the fire Sumlin train. No. Um, and I think you're, you've always rightly pointed out that if, oh, thanks. Was it Josh, if Josh Pollock's kick goes in against ASU, the, the narrative again is what changed. Well, and, that, right? and, that's, and that's part of it is that obviously the Sumlin era started off, there was a lot of excitement. It's like Kevin Sumlin, Kalote was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and they lose to BYU at home in a game that Arizona was up late and coughed it up. And just, you know, when you start off 0-2, you're already behind the eight ball. Arizona, his, someone's first year, 2018, finished playing pretty well. They would have won at UCLA if Kalote played. That was a Rhett Rodriguez game. Arizona lost by one. Again, a game Arizona should have won even still. J.J. Taylor fumbles going into the end zone. Turned, like, I think Rodriguez got picked off on a pass in the end zone. Arizona, Weren't you at that game? I was at that game. It was great. But then, then they come home and <laughs> stomp Oregon, beat Colorado, get blown out at Washington State, which is what Arizona does. And then they blow the game to ASU. If they beat ASU, they finish the regular season 6-6. Six and six. Not great, obviously, but playing better, you could argue, hey, they took a step forward because they would have been, what, 6-4 and four over their last 10 games after the 0-2 start with a close loss at UCLA with your backup quarterback. And then you go to a bowl game, a low-level bowl game. You probably win, I think. And now you're like, okay. You beat your rival. You made it to a bowl game. You didn't lose any fewer games than you did the year before, or win any fewer games the year before. Fine. Now, does that mean 2019 is that much better? Not necessarily. But the vibe already was wrong going into last season. Then you go on the road to Hawaii, a tough game that you fall short in with. Hey, I was at that game. You were at that game. (laughs) And that set a tone right for this season. And they had two weeks to stew on that. Then, of course, they win the next four. And you're like, okay, that was cool. Arizona's 4-1, and one, and then, of course, the schedule got tougher. And a big part of this, and it, you probably could point to the Khalil Tate issue because his struggles – now, the defense was bad before someone got here, didn't get any better with him, and that was a Marcel Yates defense, or maybe he was forced to keep Yates too. So that might not have helped him, whether he wanted to get his own guy and when he got hired late in the process. So there is that. But <laughs> this wasn't a very talented team that he took over. It was salvaged the year before he took over because Kulo Tate was unreal for about four games. And then he's trying to institute a system that is more NFL-friendly, but he needs NFL-caliber players, at least NFL-sized players, to run it. Last season, once they lost, I mean, they lost to Washington. That was a pretty close game for most, you know, for the three quarters. They were in that game against Washington. Where's in Arizona up at halftime of that game, I think? believe so you know and then they fell apart because washington was also a really good team that had come off a loss that they shouldn't have had they're a better team yes (laughs) then they go to usc a better team at stanford of course costello comes back for that game and plays great arizona was competitive in that one their defense wasn't good then they come home get stomped by Oregon state and homecoming with the cool uniforms then at oregon versus utah (laughs) even the asu game they were in the asu game so i think for someone you could argue and probably make a case that he didn't understand how difficult the job would be in Tucson when he took over, right? He was known as a recruiter. Ever, he wasn't Evergreen's to... Evergreen statement about yeah, pretty much. people that take over the U of A football so, program. So that's part of it. And part of it's also probably the cupboard wasn't really full when he took over the team. So there's gonna, he needs time. Now the problem is he hasn't done anything over the first two seasons to make you say, yep, he has them going in the right direction. So if you want to ask why has he been such a dumpster fire, you're not wrong to ask that, 
but it's not necessarily all on someone. Like to your point, Brett, this season was going to be so interesting because you have a whole new defensive coaching staff. You have a quarterback who seems more equipped to run the kind of offense that they want to run at U of A, a loaded running back room, some talent at receiver, and we're going to do later on this summer, we're going to do some position group breakdowns. So we're going to talk about this football team, but this was such a big year, especially because you know he has to win this season, otherwise the coaching staff is going to get replaced. But I kind of feel like if they do get replaced after this season, whoever takes over is taking over a better situation than the one someone took over. Unless they want to run a Rich Rodriguez offense, in which case I guess it would go the other direction. So someone was not put in a great position, and he hasn't proven himself to be a good enough coach to maximize the talent that doesn't fit his system. So you could argue, I think you were saying this, Brett, that they ran an offense, they didn't adapt their scheme to what they had, and that's totally fair because you can make the case. And again, Khalil Tate said he didn't come to Arizona to run the triple option. So if they were going to run the offense... Spell it correctly, Adam. Yeah, there are a couple ex- there's an extra P in there. But so that's that's a thing. So there's a lot of blame to go around. Someone has not been what people thought he'd be. And I do think a big part of why, though, the dumpster fire stuff is because ASU has that positive momentum with Herm Edwards. Like everyone thought he was going to be a joke. They've won, ooh, like what, seven games his first year and eight games after the bowl game last year, like one of the most bowl games I've ever seen. But they're the recruiting trail, the media stuff. Like they have this positive momentum. Arizona does not. So comparatively, Arizona looks like an absolute dumpster fire. But let's let this season happen with a coach, like with a different quarterback, with the receivers, with the running backs, with a different defensive coaching staff, and see if they don't take a step forward. Yeah, I think all of that's fair. And I, I don't get me wrong, I love Herm Edwards, but I think if, if ASU fans are expecting a nine-win ASU team this year, that's a that's a dangerous expectation to have. And that's the the, the problem with narratives is it's you know, I've made the half joke previously that happiness is the the delta between expectations and reality. You know, if you, Arizona wins six games this year in the regular season, the narrative shifts, right? Yeah. If like now they're AS, getting better. They're improving. If, a, if ASU wins six games this season, their narrative shifts in the negative direction, yeah. right? And it's, again, I think you need to try to disassociate the narrative and fan angst from at the end of the day, it's on-field performance, and we're going to know a hell of a lot more about Kevin Sumlin's future four games into next season. You know, they have they have winnable games to start the year, yeah, and that's going to set that's going to set the tone. How that how those games come out, you know, they better win Hawaii at home. They Texas should win. Tech, they could easily Texas. win their first three, if not I, first I mean, four. Or five, even. I was gonna. I would no. I was gonna say there's or a, six. There, there's a non-zero scenario where they start the season really great, like four and, then, and two, five and one. Like honestly, I think they should try to be four and two or five and one based. I on They should schedule. try to be six and zero. Oh, well, but... sure. <laughs> Fair. Your, your your logic has bested me. Green. <laughs> um, but you know, like and and college football is a strange thing in that momentum and confidence can have a big impact especially when you're playing with a bunch of guys that are you know 22 years old and younger and actually good but like you know if they if they start the season you know three four and oh and they beat a decent stanford team and win on the road at texas tech you know i'm not gonna say like their schedule takes off and it gets it gets a lot rougher real quick yeah but like you know, you only have to steal another game or two there to have a pretty darn successful season. And if you have that kind of momentum and confidence going forward, you know. I mean, I did think the same when they were 4-1 and one last season, and that confidence dissipated 
pretty quickly. But Fair. but that's when it's smoke and mirrors. I'm like that. We'll we'll know a lot more with this start if they got to a good start because it's year three of Kevin Sumlin with a different quarterback who we assume would be playing really well with an offensive line that's opening up holes for the running backs with receivers who have taken a step forward and are all be able to challenge defensive backs down the field and a defense that doesn't give up you know 600 yards to Hawaii. You know, so we could see some improvement. If you're two and four after six games, say hello to head coach Paul Rhodes for the rest of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So along this lines, friend of the program host, Rick DeNice, he he had some thoughts and his he had a a string of ideas. But we'll just start at the beginning was how about we discuss what's on everybody's mind, the discrepancy between our program and ASU's on the recruiting front. You know, how we lose Tucson recruits to other programs, especially when those high school campuses are less than 10 minutes away and can this staff write this ship. He also talked about the fact that, you know, when you're losing recruiting battles and their ASUs in their top six, like that's, and that's, you almost, you can't help but compare Arizona to ASU because they're rivals. They're, you know, down the street from each other, so to speak. And because when each of these coaches were hired, people were like, Ooh, Arizona got Kevin Sumlin. They're like, <laughs> ASU hired Herm Edwards. And absolutely, Herm Edwards, the buzz has been super positive. They've got, they're becoming receiver U, I guess, sending guys in the first round, Nikhil Harry and Brandon Ayuk this season. They like Jaden Daniels, who is probably getting slightly overrated by some right now. But they've been, they've been fairly average over Herm Edwards' first two seasons, right? And this is with two first round draft picks on their roster. They've been, they've been average. They've won close games. They've won games they probably had no business winning. You know, according Arizona two years ago, but if they if they lose those games, then the narrative is different about ASU. But they won them, and there's I don't yeah. think you're going to win all. No team is just always good at winning close games. There's a lot of luck involved with that. Just like no team is always going to lose their close games. There's luck involved in that. But the difference between Arizona and ASU, I guess I'm trying to think. I'm trying to do the math in my head. Arizona's won nine games over the last two seasons. ASU's won if you include their bowl game, fifteen. Is that right? I mean, that's a, that's a big difference, Adam. That is, over the course of two seasons. But it's mostly because of this season, right? They were basically... It's, sure. It's a game here and there where if Arizona doesn't blow that game to UCLA two years ago, if they don't blow the game to well, ASU, that's a seven-win football team. If they don't blow the game to ASU, that's a plus one for Arizona and a minus one for ASU. So that yeah. cap and arrows. So it's, I understand the comparison because it's, again, the vibe, right? It is not fun to be an Arizona football fan right now. Whereas if you're an ASU fan, it's, ooh, we're in this top recruits, top five, or, ooh, this guy's interested in ASU. Arizona doesn't have that right now. So it's not fun, but I think at this point we have to look at Arizona as much as we can in a vacuum, and will they get better? Are they moving in the right direction? Because if they are, then eventually they'll get to a level where we're comfortable and happy with what they're doing. The recruiting will come. The wins will come. So that's what we have to look at. Forget what's happening at ASU. Try to. Is Arizona moving forward? Is Arizona improving as a program? That's all yeah. I think. That's how I think you have to look at it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, as tempting as it is, and you know how much I, I have voiced numerous times, and you know, as a fan, I, I don't actually give two you know what's about how ASU does most of the time. The biggest thing for me personally is I just don't want to hear their obnoxious fans crow about like not even that great of successes. But that's just me, and like I don't actually want them to be unsuccessful just because I'm an Arizona fan. I'd rather focus on Arizona, right? And some of those recruiting battles, there's a lot of things that go into those, especially with the higher-rated guys, especially, I think, higher-rated guys in the state of Arizona, a lot of whom 
bluntly just want to get out of the state of Arizona because they see greener pastures, right? Um, you know, the narrative game is, is a silly one in my mind, uh, but that's kind of, you know, the fun of being a sports commentator, if I can call myself that now as a apparent think, permanent podca podcast host. You've commented um, on sports. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like, until we have the games to play and the outcomes to evaluate, that's all, that's all it really is. But I think for, you know, if, you're, if your end goal is we want to have a program that's successful and sustainable, you don't, if you're Arizona, you don't worry about those comparisons. You worry about, you worry about yourself, right? Yeah. It's not about, like, I don't want to go three in the eight, but gosh darn it, I'm going to beat ASU every year. Like, I know some people are that way. That's, that's not me. I'd rather, you know, I would actually personally rather have Arizona and ASU be the top two programs in the Pac-12 and everything, and damn it, we beat them soundly in every game we play. Head -head. I would take that every you time. Know? Every time. <laughs> but 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 that's but I I had a thought and I think oh, where is I we're running out of time I should probably think of this soon but it was just there's certain oh that's what it was <laughs> part of this and this is just the fun of recruiting when you see a guy and I and I follow a lot of ASU people on Twitter so they're retweeting and there's this kid like here's my top fifteen it's like you know so and so prospect has errors ASU in their top fifteen or this guy this is my top twenty please respect my decision what decision right like just being in, and there is something to be said for being in the group, to, for being considered when you're ASU, because it means that these top recruits are at least considering you. That matters, right? You want to be on that level, but it also doesn't mean anything until they recruit, other than the fact that you need to start winning games. And when it comes to the, the nice thing now for Arizona is there's zero expectations of success for next season. Like Everyone expects them to be a disaster for Kevin Sumlin to get fired. If they get off to like a 4-1 and one start, 5-1 and one start, granted if they get lose the rest of their games, it won't matter. But if, if they start playing well, then the vibe changes significantly. It's like, oh, maybe Kevin Sumlin's onto something. Grant Cannell is a type of quarterback who can lead you to bowl games and to contending. You know, the running game is phenomenal. Oh, look at Noel Mazzoni. Apparently he knows how to run an offense, not a coach. Like these things, the defensive coaching says like, ooh, maybe there is talent here. Like that could happen, but until it does, no one can believe it will. So, yeah. like, they're a victim as much as just not being on the field, not watching guys improve, not having that energy that comes with that. And I know Rick had some other email, like, some other tweets about some of the guys, like, Arizona, some former Arizona guys, Joel Salovey, Antonio Pierce, killing it for other programs. That happens. <laughs> just because they go to college at U of A doesn't mean they're going to do everything for you. They have to have jobs, too. And why they're not at U of A, I'm sure there's reasons. But, I mean, good or not, there's reasons. I'm pretty sure that the, if the rumors were to be believed that uh, someone tried his damnedest to get Salabea to come to Arizona, but you know it's hard to compete with the Oregon money. They probably pay a little bit better. <laughs> I probably. So, so no, but uh, these are all, probably all these questions. Like Rick had a great time. If you follow the Wildcat, you know, follow our account. You could follow me, I guess, at the Adam Green. I retweet. He was responding to me. But there's a lot of questions around Arizona football. And not one of them is invalid because <laughs> there's a huge question mark around the program. And until they start winning games, they're going to be unanswered. And maybe if they get off to a bad start, like you said, Coach Paul Rhodes, that's how it's going to be. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere between week four and week six of whenever the next season happens based on the current schedule, we're going to have a lot clearer picture of Kevin Sumlin's future. Yeah. 
And one more that we had, Matt Wondolowski at Wandaman84 just asked, what if we ended the football program and just focused on basketball? Well, Matt, Arizona would have won four fewer football games last season. And had zero dollars. And instead of a $7.5 million deficit, they would have, oh, let's go with a $40 million deficit. So let's, let's be honest. Even when Arizona or football is bad, we still love We're masochists. We're Arizona Wildcats fans. Like, we live for the pain and for the frustration. And the, every week, like, ooh, maybe this is the week it turns around. Like, that's what being an Arizona football fan is all about because every now and then, they're pretty good. And it's a lot of fun. And, yeah, don't underestimate the financial benefit of having <laughs> even a bad even a bad football program is what makes money for almost every school. Yeah, yeah. So thank you to everyone who sent us some questions for the mailbag. We, I think we want to do this for most of the summer, too, because there's a lot going. There's a lot of topics that we enjoy talking about and that we can think of, but there's always some that we don't, you know. So you guys, whatever you have on your minds, let us know. Tweet us at the Wildcat Radio Twitter account or tweet Brett. You're at Brett D. Barry. I'm at the Adam Green. Just let let us all know what you're thinking, and we'll talk. be happy to talk about it on the show. I guess within reason. We can't promise anything. <laughs> like, not every question will make it, but if it's a good one, sure. I mean, if it's a good one that's Arizona Wildcats related. That's true. It has, there or, has to be some relevance. Or an excellent one that is not Arizona Wildcats related. That's true. We, we can just talk you through a lot of things if you want, if you trust us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, standard disclaimer applies. Sure. <laughs> Wildcat Radio 2.0 is not responsible for anything, any bad things that might befall you from listening to any advice we provide on this show. Yeah. That, does that work? I, I mean, my fiance's a lawyer. I can have her check it out. Uh, please do before we <laughs> go forward with this. <laughs> but No, but... I was going to say, also, Adam and I are thinking of uh, some fun topics. We're thinking of doing, like, position group deep dives on both the football team and maybe the basketball team as we get closer. But, you know, anything you want to hear about, we're happy to uh, to bring up. And we want to be here to help entertain and maybe enlighten slightly through <laughs> the fun that is social isolation of coronavirus quarantine. For sure. So keep that in mind. Thank you for listening. And until next week, remember to bear down. Bear down.